Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. I've been saying Harrods this entire time. <laughs> I don't know shit. Were you on that call, Keegan? Which one? The one that he had last week where he said, students are going to wear masks. No, that was with the Tulsa world. I would credit the Tulsa world. So they get a presidential rally and they get a an audience with OU's president. Yes. Why? Uh, I think the editorial guy is really well known. I see. Is that Bill Haston? Is that no, name? it was it was a it was their editorial, the person who does their um, columns and stuff. That's not sports. I see. I know. I already asked you, Keegan. Um, by the way, welcome to the Inside OU podcast. Is we're recording? Oh, I always like getting Keegan when he doesn't know. I, I yeah, I always I've had to make sure to look at the top left of the Zoom. <laughs> I'm sneaky thing to make sure that when we're recording or not. It's sneaky. Yes, Keegan Renault of SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today Sports, powered by uh humans powered by america what else powered by gannett gannett what's gannett it's our it's the uh mother it's our mother company it's the people that own us the corporate mothership okay all right cool cool i am i am powered by i had zoe's i had a salad bowl today or (laughs) that's what i'm powered by currently um but i know i already asked you keegan where we should start but i i actually let's pivot real quick Let's give a few minutes to our mutual friend, Tyler Palmatier, who's now leaving the Norman transcript. He's going to be off the OU beat now. So um, uh, any memories, any good well wishes (laughs) for our dear friend Tyler as he goes off to Nashville? Of all the people, and I think everybody on the OU beat would say this, he is the most genuine, nice, hard, the work ethic that he has um you know it it is you know it's no role model for me and role model for a lot of the younger guys that are on the beat um he's probably a model too yeah although you beat him in the hair competition again Um, the people voted um i did not influence that vote whatsoever there was no collusion Uh, it was just a good honest election and um it's an honor to have beaten tyler in that department i'll just say so, no, he's a really, really, really good dude, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does next, whether that's in sports, whether that's in, you know, covering news or politics. Whatever he does, he's going to be really good at. And if you guys don't follow him, do so. Um, he, he's a really, really entertaining follow, and we're going to miss him a whole lot. I, I know I can – people that listen to this, I can speak for everybody on the beat. Uh, he's one of the best people, and, and I'm going to miss him a lot. All jokes aside, Tyler's a great dude. Um, haven't really had that many interactions with him – um, you know, pretty much in person. A lot of our uh, back and forth have been obviously on Twitter or even through email, mainly because he covers one team in a different sport and I cover a different team in a different sport. Uh, but he did give me an opportunity to freelance for the transcript and cover the Thunder handful of games. Um, I was actually scheduled to cover the Thunder and the Suns on Friday night following the Jazz game that never happened. So uh, Tyler gave me a good chance, good opportunity to uh, spread my wings past the franchise and write for my hometown paper, the Norman Transcript. So um, shout out to our good friend, Tyler. Good luck to you. And um, it's good to see good people get good opportunities considering all things going on in the world, Keegan. So uh, just want to give a few minutes for our good friend, Tyler. But um, yeah, as we move into the insideness of the Inside OU podcast, Keegan, uh, let's, let's just please go ahead. Don't ever, please don't ever phrase it like that well, ever again. I, people that listen to this podcast want to be inside OU. They want to be inside it. Okay? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What's so funny? What's so funny? What's so funny about that? Uh, just, I, don't just, know. I don't know what's funny, Brady. They want the eye contact. They want, they want the intimacy of the OU football program. Or in sometimes basketball. You've already talked about baseball a handful of times, and we're done with that, by the way. Uh, let's just go ahead. Whoa! Let's I, just, I'm kidding. Let's just go ahead and get into what everyone's thinking right now. That's the 4th of July, so recruiting. Um, we already had one person ask, and we'll get to the questions, and we'll, I'll repeat the question and the person who asked it, so you get a shout-out at the end of the pod. But we already had questions 
basically dealing with, okay, we kind of know what the 4th of July is going to happen. Is there going to be anything else? But uh, Keegan, in the last week since we uh, recorded anything, any new tidbits on the recruiting trail concerning OU football? And this could, of course, include transfer portal stuff as well. I think where you start out with is Caleb Williams. I think he's the key master for any of the um, God, the Ghostbusters people out there. Um, he's the key master of this whole deal. I, I think that once he's on board, everybody's going to follow. And I think the, the only other name that we know as of right now that's publicly and going to announce this commitment on July 4th is three-star wide receiver listed athlete some, uh, on rivals, uh, Keon Coleman. Uh, I, that's a guy that I, I'm extremely, extremely high on. He's a 5.73 star on rivals, 5.8 makes you a four star. So he's close. But I think when sunny day comes, this is a guy that's going to be in that top 300, top 250. He is ex- so, so athletic, uh, extremely bouncy, high points to football extremely well. He's a guy that I think fits at Oklahoma as that wide, wide receiver position that Jalen Conyers is going to play here in, in the coming years, the one that Mark Andrews and Grant Calcaterra played. And I, that's a guy that I truly feel as if he is going to be an impact player uh, if he does sign the dotted line come signing day at, for Oklahoma. And then you kind of move down the list from there. And then you got a handful of guys that you have an idea of that Oklahoma is close with talking about Latrell McCutcheon, talking about Bryce Foster, talking about Marcus Burris, talking about David Abiara, though, and, and even more names than that. But I could tell you from my end, I haven't heard anything confirmed, that nothing from inside OU that uh-huh. I've been told that uh, that's going to – something's going to happen. Um, so with all that being said, it's setting up to be not just a huge July 4th, but a huge month of July. I think this is going to be a domino effect, and I think everybody that covers recruiting and covers the team understands that and has talked about it. But I truly feel as if Oklahoma, this is going to be the first step to a long month of recruiting um, and commitments for Oklahoma. And we'll see what they're going to be able to do. Obviously, a lot of these guys haven't either. They've virtually visited, they've unofficially visited, but they haven't officially visited Oklahoma. So with that being said, come signing day, there's going to be commitments for Oklahoma that are going to be taking visits. They're going to be, they're going to be guys committed elsewhere to SEC schools, to the big-time Big Ten schools, to ACC schools that Oklahoma is going to bring in. It's, it's going to be a process, and I, don't, I just want to get people's heads in that direction because just because they commit right now and with, all, with the COVID coronavirus commitments is what it's being labeled as, that this doesn't mean that this is this is a done deal. Oklahoma still has a lot of work cut out for them um, before December and February. Now, this might be a little bit of a silly question, but I've tried I've tried to look and see how OU and Lincoln Riley, given his emphasis on recruiting and the desire to constantly be in the news and especially good in the news, not just like bad stuff or whatever, just for the sake of being in the news. But um, obviously with schools being unable to bring recruits on the campus for the time being um, and Lincoln Riley's past of having, you know, at the time, you know, the, the champs, the champs barbecue thing uh, initially early on in his offensive coordinator days, it was a big kind of reminder that, Hey, we're here. Oklahoma is kind of a fun place to be. Let's like make a big deal out, out of it, get some momentum into the uh, summer months going into summer camp and then fall. And then of course the football season with recruiting because that's out of the, out of the picture. And because OU's mm-hmm. kind of been at the forefront of these, um, what, what are they called? These, these online campus tours. Virtual uh, visits. Yeah, the virtual visits. Is July 4th and the potential of Caleb Williams uh, committing to OU and then the domino effect that that could eventually uh, uh, spur on, is this kind of in that same vein? Or is Lincoln Riley in the program, do you think that they are seeing that as this is kind of our champs barbecue? This is like the big summer event that's going to keep Mm -hmm. us in the news. I mean, it's obviously that that's kind of the case. I'm just curious if Lincoln Riley, um, I mean, I would say it's a long shot to say that Lincoln Riley probably influenced Caleb. Like, yeah, you should do your, your commitment July 4th. This is Caleb Williams decision. 100%. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but it just seems like it's working out that way, that this is kind of leading into what Lincoln Riley likes to do around this time of year is like putting OU at the forefront of recruiting. Right, and I think you said Caleb Williams made his, his mind up on his day that he was committing, and you and I have talked ad nauseum about it, that it was going to be July 4th for a while. But I think the other guys that are committing either on July 4th, the weeks afterwards, I think that's completely calculated. We saw the same thing happen with Theo Weiss and R.J. Henderson and that group at the spring game um, in 2019 where you heard that these guys were committed, but they weren't publicly committed. And next thing you know, they, re- they commit, they start off a long weekend um, of commitments for Oklahoma. So I think this is, ex- this is absolutely calculated. I think it's um, scheduled. I-, I can't think of the other word to use, but, um, but like you said, I-, I do think that they are trying to capture the moment. And they're going to continue. That's something that the, in the recruiting world that Oklahoma's really, really been successful at and see and try to create basically a waterfall effect to it. So, no, I, I think, like you said, that this is something that Oklahoma is going to continue to do. And, and I, I believe this is an extremely calculated move by Oklahoma to continue to have their name in the news. Um, in, this, in this regard, um, it's with recruiting. And it's, I mean, it's certainly going to be that way if everything that we think is going to happen indeed happens. I mean, OU's going to be right there. I mean, real quick, I mean, what does this do for OU's class, like in terms of the ranking? Not, not that it's the most important thing in the world, but of course, in the world of recruiting, it's always best to be as high as you possibly can consistently year in and year out. It's only, it, it's only the more you can do that, the more you can point to it to future recruits. But obviously, mm-hmm. if Caleb Williams is in the fold, and then maybe X, Y, and Z, fall into place as well behind Caleb Williams with OU's current class as is. I mean, what are we talking about here? Like, where does that shift OU in terms of the class ranking? Now, I think at the end of the day, come signing day, I think this has a legit chance to be a top five class. Um, Now, just because of Saturday, that'll probably move it in the top 20, top 15. Uh, But ultimately, this is – I think this has a chance to be Oklahoma's highest rated class since Lincoln. Um, And I want to fact check myself on this. But in 2019, I believe they landed a top five, maybe number five, number four on rivals. But, um, but ultimately, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be one of the best recruiting classes across the board. Uh, it's not heavily weighed by offensive guys. I think it's going to be evenly weighted amongst uh, – from, you know, the top guys are going to be obviously offensive players. But there's going to be a, a big bulk of defensive guys that are some of the top, top recruits in the country. So uh, I, I think – it's going to have a big effect. And I think from, and you know, and I, I've already teased at it once today. Um, and I teased that a little bit last week, but there's, I've got a couple stories and I've already made some calls on Caleb Williams and trying to get to introduce him to OU fans. This is a guy that people are going to really rally around on um, a lot like Kyler Murray from a personality perspective and, but a little more outgoing, obviously based off his Twitter activity but he kind of has that same aura about him. He just walks in a room and people kind of know he's there. And that's the kind of effect I think he's having with recruits in his class and some of the top guys in the country that he has a confidence to him, but he's also got a a decided humility to him. That's not really, well, uh, that's not what you see amongst some of the top players in the country, especially at the quarterback position. So um, the fact with that added in with Caleb Williams, um, yeah, I think that, his notoriety and everybody's going to follow kind of where he goes and from what I understand that it's kind of been that way since he was in seventh eighth grade so that's the kind of guy that Oklahoma is going to be going to be getting um obviously if he picks Oklahoma next Saturday right um (laughs) hey Maryland's trying to make one last push Keegan I don't know I saw that yeah okay so (laughs) Oklahoma's 2019 class was fifth I think Oklahoma that's probably where it's going to be number you know three four five six seven somewhere in that range and i asked this question on twitter yesterday and it's 99 percent sarcastic but i just can't help but wonder simply because like we haven't had spring football we haven't had anything to really go off of except for recruiting and stuff that doesn't necessarily matter right now um and then who knows if we're even going to have football in the fall i mean we just don't know at this point but you know oh OU Nation, OU Twitter is going to go off if Caleb Williams simply says, yeah, like my next chapter is in Norman, Oklahoma. I wonder how Spencer Rattler feels on July 4th because he, sp- he didn't have a spring game to really show out to get people excited for the here now. 
And look, Spencer Rattler is going to be the starting quarterback when and if OU plays their first, their next football game. I don't think anyone's going to bat an eye at that. And when people see him play, if, you know, everything that we've heard about him and Keegan that you've seen in person covering him during his prep days, if that's all to be true, then yes, OU fans are going to just like, oh yeah, it's cool that we got Caleb Williams, but look at this guy. I just can't help but wonder, like a guy with Spencer Rattler's, I mean ego in a complimentary way. I want my quarterbacks to have kind of an attitude. But given what we know about Spencer Rattler, I just, I'm curious what he would, how he would feel on July 4th when like all the attention goes to this kid who's not even on campus yet. <laughs> you know, I, I think Spencer understands the situation he's in now. Um, so I don't feel as if, you know, he'll probably be, he'll probably welcome him in. Um, you know, if, especially if what Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley have said about the time spent he spent under Jalen last season, maybe that humbleness, that humility that we talked about with Caleb Williams, maybe Spencer Rowler picked up on that. And so may, he'll be, I think he'll be excited. I think it's for the future of the program. And I truly, it's just like when Oklahoma landed Brock Vandegrift, you know, my initial thought and takeaway was, you know, the program, the stability of it just got long, the, it lengthens and it continues to get longer, the stability at the quarterback position, the offensive line, all those things. And so I think Spencer will be happy. Uh, and I think, like you said, you know, I think Oklahoma fans still are based off our analytics on anything we write about Spencer Rattler. Um, I think Oklahoma fans are still craving and waiting to see uh, him take his first snap as the starting quarterback. Now, in two years, when Inside OU podcast is, you know, as big as Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, which is coming, I mean, trust me. Uh, but Keegan, please tell me right now, what package will we call the Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams on the same field at the same time? What are we going to call that? Mm. That's for the off season of 2022 or 21, excuse me. Spencer's gone after two years, right? I, I, you're, no, right. Yeah. But uh, to the transfer portal. I'm awful, I'm awful <laughs> at names, uh, nicknames and names of things. Um, golly, I can't even. Listeners. Listeners, help us out here. Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams in the shotgun. <laughs> it's just any more topsy-turvy shit because, uh, uh, I, I don't know, who knows. Maybe OU may not, may not still have a God mode running back at the time, but uh, recruiting will, you know, we'll find out later on. But uh, let's transition, Keegan, to stuff that kind of deals with more so about the here and now. Uh, OU's president, whose last name I still can't pronounce because, I mean, you told me already and I've already forgotten it, but go ahead. What's his, what's his name? Joseph Haruz. Haruz. Harris Haruz. Harris. I believe it's the latter. Haraz Haruz. Haruz. <laughs> Whatever. Um, OU's had three presidents in the last two years, so it's kind of hard to keep track. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, he was on with the Tulsa World last week. And basically said that, uh, from what I from what I remember, OU students will be wearing masks not just on campus, but they will be wearing masks as you put yours on right now uh, in the classroom. Which basically, that's about the biggest green light for football that I've heard thus far. I mean, we we went through like a few weeks of like, yeah, we're going to have thirty percent capacity. To oh my gosh, we're going to have fifty percent capacity. We may even have a hundred percent capacity. The way the numbers are trending, and then of course the last two and a half, three weeks, that's all gone out the window. But to me, when an administrator says that students will be on campus with masks on, to me that's them understanding the reality of the situation, not just with the virus, but to uh, uh, who's truly at risk with the virus. And that life indeed needs to kind of go on. Mm -hmm. If there are students on campus, there's going to be football. If there are no students on campus, they're still going to try and have football. So it's to me, that's as simple as I can make it in my brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, what did you take away from that interview with the Tulsa world? Do you have the kind of the same views as me? Or did you just kind of have like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that what he said and not just with the students on campus. Uh, I want to mention here, there was also an announcement last week that freshmen at o the University of Oklahoma will begin moving in on August 11th, two weeks ahead of classes. So uh, that, that is also in play as it stands today. But the mass, I think, not just the students, but the fact that he said, and it's not official, 
he mentioned that, that masks at home games will be – it's going to be a key part of them having them. And with the state that we're in, with the political climate that we're in, I still don't get why wearing a mask is political. Um, it's a health crisis. It's a health issue. But the fact that he said that, I think, means that they are already deep in plans of the process of getting fans into the games as well. That gives me confidence that they are also having contingency plan if fans aren't going to be at games. Um, because if Oklahoma, the way they've dealt this with this whole deal, I think that they have always had two sides. You know, Josie, every time you hear Josie talk, he always talks about one side of a plan. And then the next week he talks about the other side of a plan. So I think that says a lot to me, the fact that they are already talking about having fans having to wear masks at games. That means that there's also a flip side of that, that they're also planning for, um, you know, fans not being at games. And if students are on campus, that can still happen. So it's going to be interesting. There's no nothing official from Oklahoma yet on capacity, on plans of getting fans in the games. I know this is June 28th, and we'll learn more in the coming weeks, probably next two to four weeks, about what the plans are going to be. But the fact that Oklahoma is already hitting that process of kind of figuring out a way to get fans into games, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, no question. Um... Look, the reality of the situation when we're just talking about college football and look, college football is in, you know, when we're talking about life and society needing to go on, college football is at the bottom of that totem pole. When you're talking about it economically, college football has a little bit more importance because we're, it seems like every other day, some school is, you know, giving up their Olympic sports here or there. They're giving up other sports in their athletic department. And that's going to, I mean, that's going to keep spreading. It could even affect a school like OU. I mean, you, you look at the soccer program, the one program that's probably been the least successful out of all the programs under Joe C over the last decade. I, you know, I really hate to see what would happen with that if, you know, we're able to have a college football season, but there's no fans. I mean, going back to what I've always said about the NBA, they've already said that no fans in the stands equals losing 40, up to 40% of their complete revenue for an entire season. I'd imagine to be somewhat similar with college sports. If you're losing 40% of your revenue, that's going to affect your entire athletic department and the sports that aren't making any money. I, I feel like, I mean, just, I'm not an economic scientist. I don't know what those people are called. I would imagine that those things would be the first ones to be cut because, all right, we've got to adjust. We've got to adapt on the fly here. I don't want that to happen at all. But um, if there is a way that college football can a happen and b we can have fans in the stands safely wearing masks, um, not at full capacity, uh, like we've talked about before, Keegan, maybe the older uh, portion of the fan base is probably encouraged to stay home, and then maybe they're giving given incentives for future seasons to make up for that because it is inconvenient and it's not fair. Life isn't fair. This virus isn't fair to anybody. No. Those are just the realities of the situation. Uh, but college football for college athletics needs to happen. If it doesn't happen, I don't even know what the future looks like in the short term, let alone the long term. But I'm really curious if OU is going to do something like, and I, I can't really, I don't really have the specifics of this. I was simply told this by somebody who has a daughter that goes to Notre Dame. You, you might have read this somewhere, Keegan, but Notre Dame's already having their students come much earlier to campus. They're going to start their semester a few weeks earlier than originally planned and basically once they get to thanksgiving that's their end of their semester so when everybody goes home for thanksgiving they're not going to come back so it's not a situation where you know campus is relatively fine everybody goes to thanksgiving goes home then they come back and spread the virus again for the final month of the semester uh, so to me that makes a lot of sense um, i would i'm curious if OU would do something similar at the same time if that would be the case would that also kind of trickle down into college football scheduling do we not want to have games in December? Do we not even have bowl games or non-conference games? I mean, it's just a whole can of worms that you can go in. It's, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint one path for all this, but it seems like that there's going to be a multitude of different factors that kind of go into whatever ultimately happens. You ready to have your mind blown? Sure. They're called economists. Economists. Well, yeah, I mean, you're the stock, ma you're the stock market manager. So. <laughs> Again, um, I think Texas as well. 
Um, you said Notre Dame, and they're not, Notre Dame's not the only school. Um, I thought I believe Texas is doing that with the Thanksgiving break. TCU, um, don't quote me on that. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, and there, I believe there's dozens of others that are doing that as well. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Oklahoma does something along those lines to where everything off, off is going to be online after Thanksgiving break um, instead. And I think we can both say this. We know a person that is a student at the OU Health Medicine School, uh, Health and Science Center downtown, and they've kind of been told that after Thanksgiving break, don't expect to come back. So with that being said, I think that's extremely smart uh, on the school's part. Um, and then you kind of get into the college football aspect of it. Uh, they already are talking about plans of um, uh, Big 12 is – by the way, this is a tangent you and I can go off on here. Let's but do the it. Big, the Big 12 has absolutely nailed this whole coronavirus pandemic. I know. It's, it's, it's 2020 so is, shocking. 2020 is weird, Keegan. Up is down and down is up. Bob Bowlesby is actually saying things of note, and they have <laughs> substance, and there's some logic that I can follow, and there's leadership to, the, to all this, which is completely uncharacteristic to this conference. And so with that being said, the last thing they proposed was moving um, the conference championship game back one week in case they have to cancel games. So it gives them a one weekend free um, that they can use if a game has to be canceled, if there's an outbreak amongst the team, a team that's, that's playing that week. I, that is brilliant. Um, so with that being said, I think if there are no fans in the stands, Brady, that the season will go on as it's scheduled today. Now, you get fans involved at like a, you know, end in, in November conference championship. That's where I'm kind of with you on the, along the lines of a spring season. How can you do that w- during flu season without a virus for COVID-19 or a virus, a vaccine for COVID-19? So I, I, that part of it, I think, is going to be um, extremely hard to manage from an administrative Big 12 perspective. But I, I still feel, you know, Missouri State, Army. They're not going, to, games, they're, they're not going to West Point. Like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry. They're, you're not sending 200 people and then having them come back. Um, and I could tell you that there has been concern of that game for the last month and a half or so, and I'm comfortable saying that right, saying that now. So those two games, I think, are going to be tough. But the rest of the schedule, I think they can manage and they can figure it out. So with all that, with all that being said and everything that you and I just said, um, this is going to be a process. It's going to be we're going to learn more and more in the days and the weeks and the months coming in the next two months. But uh, I truly feel as if the Big 12, with the le- <laughs> believe it or not, the leadership at the Big 12 level, the leadership of the University of Oklahoma, Chris Del Conte, um, at Texas, extremely, extremely respected athletic director. Um, and then all the other guys, uh, all the other coaches in the conference are also um, respected in how they develop players and their behavior and the human and the outside of the West Virginia with Neil Brown a little bit. But for the most part, everybody's been – there haven't been any problems um, with the coaching staff. So really? I think that – You're forgetting one important molded coach – doesn't do a very good job of listening to his players, apparently. Oh, Mike Gundy. Yeah, that oh, is. Oh, that problem. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, scratch everything I just said and then <laughs> exclude, exclude Mike Gundy into that conversation. But, no, I, I think with the leadership in the conference and um, with, with way Bowlesby's handling deals in Oklahoma and Texas and the leadership there, um, I think we'll push through this. But I, I, think it's way, still way, I think it's still too early to really have that conversation about what's going to happen with the season we got to see what the trends and the line, trend lines with the COVID-19 in Texas specifically, what that, the problems that they're having down there with the hospitalizations going way up. And then we'll see kind of, we'll move from there. So we'll see if we can get this thing under control. You want to follow me real quick, Keegan, on my, what I eventually think college football is going to become. I'll follow you wherever you go, Brady. Okay. Okay. Sweet, sweet, sweet. I don't know if it's going to be because of this season and all the drastic changes that are going to be that are going to have to take place in order for the season to happen, or the drastic changes that um, occur as a as a consequence as a result to this season. However, it ends up shaping up. But what I've always assumed is the future for college football, and it transcends, you know, something like expansion of the playoff. You know, I think that that's pretty much that's going to happen at some point. Um, but 
what I've always felt like is you're going to have more of a consolidation of the power five and in terms of the blue bloods. And what I think would probably happen is you have like a league, maybe regional of like the OUs, the Texases, and then the, the, the Bama's, the LSU's, the Clemson's, USC's, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, those types of schools that are pretty much playing in a league of their own. And then you have the remainder of the power five and then the group of five schools that are able to stay above water, that make money, that are in big, big the cities, American. big markets. Uh, yeah, exactly. That basically act as not affiliates in terms of like how the, the NBA is with the G League. If you play for the Blue, the Thunder somewhat own your rights. They can call you up from the Blue for a Thunder game if you're on a two-way contract. Not that. But I feel like schools like TCU, schools like, uh, like Rice, Houston, I feel like it's going to be more regionally based in terms of scheduling. And I think that might be more of a short term. So basically what I mean is if there's like a super conference of all the blue bloods, whether that's, you know, maybe 10 schools here, and then you add like schools that are historically blue bloods, like Nebraska, even though we all know that they're not a blue blood anymore. And then you pair them with like a group of five affiliate where they always have to play them every year. So for OU, it'd be like Tulsa, it'd be like TCU, it'd be like SMU, schools that are relatively close in their, in their sphere of influence, if you will, where you play them every year, you kind of help them stay afloat. And that way, for however long this lasts with COVID-19, whether we have a vaccine at the end of the year, like Dr. Fauci said or not, um, whether the virus continues to mutate, and this, and this is kind of just simply what we live with, so the desire to go play a school like Army, if you're Oklahoma, in the non-conference portion of your schedule, is probably le- uh, less likely. So you're more inclined to play schools closer to you. I think that that's where we're going. If you completely lo- completely lost me, I'm sorry. I should have wrote this down, but I just feel like we're getting so much closer to somewhat of an NFL semi-pro league, an NFL mm-hmm. developmental league where all the top recruits go to the bigger schools because in it, football is not like basketball. You are not 18 years old and physically ready to play against ad- adults in football. For every, like, there's Adrian Peterson and there's like a whole bunch of other guys who need a year or two to mature physically. So I think you're going to have an NFL developmental league with all the super schools and then they will have like partners, partner schools that they play every single year um, in terms of non-conference. And then maybe with the Super League, whatever you want to call it, you maybe throw in like one big non-conference game, um, maybe like OU in Georgia or USC and LSU to like highlight your non-conference, if you will. And then you play your regular scheduled conference games. It's a little, it's silly. I think that that's just where we're going. I think like whether that's in five years or 10 years, I really feel like that that's where we're going. And COVID-19 is really, I think, accelerating us to get to that point. My biggest issue with college football, Brady, and I'm with you on that because you're kind of talking about a relegation system, kind of like what soccer does, correct, in Europe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I know. millennial likes something that Europeans do. I get it. <laughs> uh, I, I, my biggest problem with college football is it's not an equal playing field across the board. And you've heard me have this conversation before that SEC plays eight games – how can you value that? Why are they so valued higher whenever they're playing a McNeese State and a Texas Southern um, in the same season? So if this is at a point in time, kind of like you're saying, to where we just blow this whole system up, why don't we just go to three levels of a relegation system to where there's 64 teams in level one, level two, level three, that includes Notre Dame, Power Fives, G5s, um, North Dakota States aren't beating the crap out of the FCS schools anymore. They're moving up to a different system. So I'm, I'm with you along those lines. I, I would rather uh, see the system get blown up and that we kind of do a four-year moving average based off wins um, in terms of teams playing at a level they should be playing at. So uh, ultimately, I'm with you in that regard. I kind of want to see them make some changes and I want to see it be more an equal playing field across the board for everybody to whether everybody's playing eight, you know, conference games where they're playing nine conference games. We get an exhibition game of, of some sorts where Oklahoma's playing, you know, their starters are playing against UCO for one quarter or two quarters, or they're playing, you know, somebody, Arkansas State, 
or something, you know, along those lines. Yeah. Um, so, so those are some of the things that I'd like to see happen. And I'm a big proponent in creating that system of 64 teams at level one, level two, level three, and create a relegation and promotion system like they do in soccer in Europe, because I think that's going to create a, a very competitive um, college football season. That doesn't mean you can lose, you lose your non-conference games. That doesn't mean you lose your rivalries. Um, you could still mandate those. You can, the yearly scheduled rivalries can still happen. But at the end of the day, it's just not an equal playing field right now. And if anything that we're going to learn is that depth, this college football season is going to be more important than it's ever been. And the teams that have the most resources in terms of money um, that they can recruit, they can recruit better. They can develop better that those teams are going to stick out maybe more so than some years. Um, I'm talking about maybe like a Michigan, maybe Michigan's better this year because they have the resources that Michigan state doesn't have a Penn state's better than I'm trying to think of another team in that conference that's equal to them, but I think Iowa, Minnesota. Yeah. So people get the gist of what I'm saying. So, but ultimately I I really want to see, God, I say ultimately way too much. They, they, uh, I say way too much. (laughs) Uh, I want to see them make some changes and change up some formats and create an equal playing field across the board. I think that's what creative more competitive environment for college football to where there's not the same five to eight teams that can win it every year. Yeah. I mean, again, I think we've already talked about this in terms of like the simple, the simple way to fix that. The simple argument is always we'll expand the playoffs. So the same four to five teams aren't in it every single year, but I will always point to like, if you're going to say that, I will point to any random year in the last 20 to 30 years. And I will say, the number two team who lost in the national title game, what if they played the number eight team that year? How close are those two teams on average on any given year? They're rarely close. It is such a massive drop-off with mostly with like maybe the third team, like the third best team to the fourth best team. And sometimes you can get away with there are four really, really good teams that are capable of winning a national title uh, like on a neutral field. But after that, it gets real dicey. So expanding the playoff, you're going to get a watered down. It's going to get watered down. It's going to be exciting just because, you know, more teams have a false view of like, we've got a chance, but it's like, OU in 2015 when they played Clemson, like it was cool to be there. OU never had a shot against Clemson. If you just looked at, if you look at the talent across the board, OU never had a shot, but um, real quick, Keegan, before we get into questions, unless there was something else that you wanted to talk about, what the hell does the red circle emoji mean? I know, you know, and you're not, I have no idea. Yes, you do. You're winking at me right now, and the poor listeners can't can't tell it, but I'm going to reveal it. Come on now. What what what's going on? Is I mean, he ti- think, is he tired of the eyes emoji after being burned? I I think Lincoln is having fun with the recruits, but I honestly have no clue what the emoji means. Hmm. It could concern maybe the transfer portal, perhaps. That's what oh, I Oh, we haven't I, gotten into that yet, have we? I've seen some people maybe uh, speculate as to that being the case. It would be interesting because let's get right into the questions. Let me find where this one actually is. Uh, here we go. So, everybody knows who Marcel Brooks is by now, right? Everyone saw the video, go to LSU, all that all that fine stuff. Uh, but Reese whew, Oh, man, that is a name that I've never seen before, and I'm not even going to attempt to try and pronounce because I will probably butcher it. And his handle is his last name, so it's at his last name, 34. So I'm sorry I can't pronounce your last name. But the Marcel Brooks situation. If OU um, somehow makes a great case and lands Brooks, where do you play him at? So let's play speculation game here, Keegan. I want to say first off, and I know you follow me and I've said this already, but Oklahoma was involved with Marcel Brooks. I just messed up the timeline of it, and I apologize for that. And you, but, mean, oh, you mean during his initial recruiting, right? During his initial okay. recruitment, yeah. yeah. So the weekends leading up to the National Signing Day in December in 2018, Marcel Brooks visited Oklahoma, and I know there were reports out it earlier in the week, and I know that it came up. Um, was he once he was heading to campus, but I was able to confirm independently 
that Marcel Brooks officially visited Oklahoma before he ended up signing with LSU. So Oklahoma made a big move there at the end, and I believe Marcel Brooks has some friends um, that play on Oklahoma's team from high school because he's from Marcus um, Flower Mound in in the DFW area in Texas. So with all that being said, I know nothing about that situation quite yet. I plan on asking and reaching out this week. But with Marcel Brooks, this is a guy that when you talk about positionless defense, and that's what Alex Grinch is trying to do in the secondary, that Marcel Brooks fits exactly what Oklahoma's looking for, maybe in a nickelback, maybe at a rush position, maybe as an inside linebacker, maybe as a free safety. He could play all those positions. Now, I think his best fit is at nickel. I think this is a guy that can be – he could play the backside run support. He could play the flats. He can cover slots. Um, if he's probably going to need a safety help over the top, which is what Oklahoma does already. But he can, he can cover the slot. He can cover tight ends. He's super athletic. He makes big-time plays. I mean, this is a guy that, when it, at the end of the day, if Oklahoma is able to get his hands on him, um, they're going to figure out pretty quick what to do with him. I think it's going to be nickel, um, and I think that's the same position that Kendall Daniels is being recruited to play at Oklahoma based off some conversations over the last couple of days. And I, I, those two, I think, are fit perfectly. And I think that there's a situation that if Oklahoma does go out and land Marcel Brooks, I think they can – play both on the field at the same time they're interchangeable what Kendall Daniels is probably more of an inside linebacker Marcel Brooks is more of an outside linebacker um they could probably bring two uh Deshaun White and Shane Witter on the field together at the same time too so they I think that there's the the options with Brooks and Daniels are endless but with Brooks being the hot name right now um I think this is Oklahoma is at 84 scholarships. I have them at. I've been told not to trust that number at all. And I've been able to check that with a couple other members on the OUB. But when it's all said and done, this is a guy, despite what your numbers are, this is a guy you take. Um, and I can say this, and I don't want to speak too much on it, but I know he had some issues in high school, some very serious issues in high school away from the football field. And, but Oklahoma still brought him in as a recruit. So I think that's not a problem. I don't think scholarship numbers are a problem. So what what would be the holdup, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, OU's especially the defense is in no position to just turn away talented. I mean, I again, I have no idea if I mean Marcel Brooks would be interested in OU. I mean, we haven't really heard any reports at all. At least I haven't seen any. But in terms of like, I was just speculate here. OU's in no position to just say, ah, no thanks. We're, we're fine with what we got. Uh, but real quick, one more thing on Marcel Brooks, Keegan. Um, is there a, you know, for those that aren't as familiar with his play, whether it be at high school, quick comp that comes to mind or a ceiling? Because when you, when you describe him as a positionless football player, my brain keeps going to Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker mm-hmm. who played nickel, linebacker, slot corner, uh, boundary corner for Clemson. He played every position basically on defense. I mean, and that's where the the game is pretty much uh, moving towards. That's where Alex Grinch wants to go. That's where my brain goes. Is that a fair comp, or do you see something a little bit different? He's not Isaiah Simmons. Because he's not um, as big. No, um, he's not as long. But he, he is that kind of athlete. I, I don't know if there is a necessarily a good comp for Marcel Brooks just right now off the top of my head. But, I mean, this is a guy, like I said um, – you know, he could play nickel. He, I think he could play rush. I think he could play inside linebacker. And I think if you need him to, he could play safety um, with that, depending on what the team's alignment is. So I don't – I think Kendall Daniels is as close to Isaiah Simmons as it can get. I don't think Marcel Brooks is that. I think he's a little more stiff. I don't think he's quite the athlete. He's not nearly as long. But he could have that same impact on for your defense in college football. I mean, that's the kind of player he is. And LSU had him as a DB. So that is something to think about. And I think moving forward that Marcel Brooks, that is the position at Oklahoma that they're going to be looking for him to play is that nickelback spot. If he, if obviously if those two, if they connect, and I think it's fair to mention that Jamar Kane did follow Marcel Brooks on Twitter. Hello. OU's best recruiter ever, Mr. Jamar Kane. Is this an immediate play? Or does he have to stay out a year? Or do we even know, like, the reasons as to why he's transferring? I don't think we know the reasons. Okay. Um, but I, I, with the waivers being really, really 
Like um, no one gives a now. no one gives a fuck right now. Like Arizona State oh. had a Arizona State had a punter that had a he, <laughs> I saw that. He, he left, got an agent, and then was like, oh, never mind. I want to go back to Arizona State. Instantly, like, eh, okay, who cares? <laughs> I, I think they're, they they become more strict on the transfer waivers though, so I'm not sure um, in that regard. But I think he would have to sit out a year. Fair enough. Uh, Chris P. Parrish, at Chris P. Parrish on Twitter, asks, and this is uh, not a no-you question, but we talked about Mike Gundy last year or last week, uh, so might as well. If OSU has another four to five loss season, do, you, do they fire Gundy, especially after all the recent drama? Quick answer for me, no. His contract is – he is virtually unfireable. And if he's not going to get fired for the crap that happened over the last two weeks – a four or five loss season. I'm sorry. I know she was talented. That's par for the course for the Aggies. Sorry. His buyout, the buyouts go down after one year, right? Is it one year or is it, I, or is it, you might be right, the, actually. I think it's percentage of the contracts per year. So, like, he would receive 75% of what he's owed or something at one year and then that drops to 60, 65%. That's how most college football head coach contracts are. Um, But if they, I mean, I know the reports right are erroneous now. Um, The Barry Trammell, who's still one of the best, best journalists in the state of Oklahoma and Scott Wright of the Oklahoman, they both came out pretty quick that Mike Gundy was on the hot seat at the time of the OAN shirt and all that fallout. So that, to me, says that people inside Oklahoma State's athletic department aren't too happy or on the board there at Oklahoma State, aren't too happy with him already. If that bio comes down $4 million, it's $17 million. If that even comes down to 13 to 12 that's a lot more feasible than 17 And we'll see what the revenues look like this year in college football and athletic departments in general. But, man, if, if, they, if they don't win 10 games this year, Brady – uh, yeah, that, that, that's a colossal disappointment. At the same time, this is OSU. I know elitist OU fan here. It's OSU. I, feel like, I just feel like their administration is in between a rock and a hard place because if Mike Gundy wins back over his team because he does the necessary things that the players want, yet OSU fails to crack 10, 10 wins. Let's say they go eight or nine, like eight or nine wins. So a disappointing year nonetheless. But the players love him all of a sudden. I feel like it'd be a bad PR move to fire him because, again, everything that you would hear is the players love him again. He's done everything necessary. This is, this is the best coach in Oklahoma State history, and after one disappointing but not bad season, you're going to fire him. I don't think that that's realistic. Now, four to five, now the question is four or five losses. That's more than disappointing. That's a bad year considering the talent. Um, I, that's the I, second I, bad year in three to the Rudolph year was considered a bad year. The, yeah, it's it's Rudolph's last year. Rudolph's last year was like reminded me of 2011, 2013, like 2012 OU football. That was yeah, uh, that you nailed that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was completely disappointing considering w- what they had. Um, but yeah, I mean, four or five losses for OSU. I know they poke choke a lot, but they'd have to actually try and lose some games if that'd be the case. But uh, you know where I'm at with Oklahoma State, so we'll we'll save that for a later. Yeah, podcast. they're they're going to beat OU twice. Uh, Davis <laughs> Davis Dunkelberger at Sooners fan four three two. Final predictions before the fourth fireworks boom. Predictions? Just real quick. I mean, Caleb Williams, where's he going? Oklahoma. Keon uh, Coleman, Oklahoma. Keon Coleman, Oklahoma. And those are the only two public names right now. Um, those are the only names I really do feel comfortable with. But like I said, there is a handful of names that could pop on the fourth. Smoke Patterson and Quincy Russell will probably be in the fold as well. Uh, let's see. At Dub YAC 30 if OU gets a fourth commit on Saturday, who's most likely the one? You Now, you mentioned two names for sure. Or in terms of like who that you think are definitely going to go to OU on the fourth? The two names I'd watch, definitely Latrell McCutcheon, Bryce Foster, and then I'm also going to include Marcus Burris and David Abiara in that conversation. Fair enough. Fair enough, Keegan. I feel like you you know something and you're not sharing mm-hmm. it with the listeners. No, I'm dead. I'm dead honest. I I as it stands on Sunday night. 
at 8.33 mountain time. As I'm looking at a beautiful sunset in the Sangre de Cristo mountains here, I have no knowledge quite yet. I mean, I get it. Don't want to. It's the kids moment. Don't want to take away from the kids. Got to think about the kids. Let's see. This one actually comes from uh, Nicholas Mitchum. Let me try and discern because it's kind of a long message. I'll just read it verbatim. I think I'm leaning towards Caleb Williams approach. I think he may have made friends by acting like he was going here or there or there and then changed their mind or possibly just acted like he was open while tricking people to choose to play for him. It's amazing if he did that. I couldn't even think straight at that age. I guess mainly what the point is, is um, Caleb Williams is following everybody and pointing people into the direction of OU pretty openly in terms of the breadcrumbs are not that hard to follow. Mm -hmm. So if he were to go to Maryland or if he were to go to LSU, it would be way more than surprising. It would almost be like this was completely and utterly deceitful. This was something Kevin Durant would do. <laughs> it might be in response. Uh, to, it might be in response to me last week saying I kind of want Caleb Williams to go to Maryland just so I can see the world. Oh, uh, it's your fault. This is your fault. It's always my fault. It's always my fault. I mean, do do we entertain anything other than Oklahoma with Caleb Williams? Okay, he. There is a report that he took one final virtual visit with Maryland, and they gave him a bunch of details and this and that. I I don't see it. <sighs> well. Yeah, I mean, but that's just boring. That's just boring. Caleb is going to go to OU. I mean, even on even when Kevin Durant's decision, I think I remember on July third when I went to sleep, I was like, "Yeah, he's he's staying with the Thunder." Like, so it was super surprising when I read what everybody else read around ten o'clock in the morning on July fourth. I, I I think it's just one of those things that we've known about it for some time, and there's so much time in between then and now. I mean, not so much now. It's the like this coming weekend, but at the time there was so much time between then and now that uh, it's like it's too good to be true. I guess that that angle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I he's coming to Oklahoma next Saturday. Hell yeah. Okay, well, one more thing on Caleb Williams, Keegan, player comp. Oh, this is where it gets very difficult. I don't think we have enough film yet, and I know that that is a running joke, but I. <laughs> I, I truly I truly don't feel as if we have enough tape to make that de- de- decision. His throwing motion, um, it reminds yeah. me, a, it, it reminds me, I, I want to say this very closely, but it reminds me a lot of Baker in terms of his throwing motion and his arm strength. But then you get into the athleticism side and there's nothing that even compares um, with Baker. Nothing so, compares to you, Baker. Um. Except Kyler Murray was much better than you. <laughs> so, um, like I said, though, I, I think the things that are going to stick out about Caleb Williams are the things that he doesn't do on a football field. I, I think the way he carries himself, the humility that he has, um, those align a lot more with Kyler Murray than Baker or even Jalen um, to that to that extent here so, we go here we go I, i'm 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 i just made a comment <laughs> you're you're getting you're getting red your face is getting red keegan i can see your vein in your skull in your forehead i hope he has a bunch of success in philadelphia <laughs> it sounds like something someone says about their ex i hope that i wish them well no nah, jalen always treated me well no nah, jalen treated me well he uh gave me the quotes right isn't that the <laughs> Walmart that quotes he uh I got, I got, no, he treated me well and he, he's a really, really, really good person. So, um, in that regard, if anybody's listening, thinking that I'm speaking tongue in cheek, I'm not. I, I enjoyed uh, my time around Jalen. Um, did he frustrate me watching him play football at times? I, I, do you follow me? If you do, you know the answer to that question. If you don't, just search my name and Jalen Hurts on your Twitter app and have at it. I think, I think next week's pod, if we don't have that much new information to talk about, I feel like we need to really think about Jalen Hurts' place in Sooner history. It's hard. He's, to, the, he's the greatest running quarterback in Oklahoma history. Statistically? Statistically? And I, I know Jamel, that would be the conversation between him and Jamel. Um, I, thought, mean, I think Ky, obviously Kyler was an extremely, extremely athletic, talented runner, but Jalen was a very skilled runner. The things that he could do inside the box, um, not yeah. many quarterbacks that I've ever watched can do that. I mean, Lamar, I mean, I'm not comparing Jalen Hurst to Lamar Jackson. Don't even go there with that. But <laughs> I'm saying the things that he can do with running the football, 
um, inside the tackle box um, was extremely, extremely impressive. And I thought he was a more skilled runner than Kyler was. I thought Kyler was just faster than everybody else on the planet. So, um, but yeah, no, I don't have to get deep into that conversation right now, but I mean, I think he, that statistically he is, but I think that there is a conversation that could happen. Yeah. That Jalen, um, Jalen could be the best running quarterback Oklahoma's ever had. No, it's a, it's a question that I've uh, toyed with even going back to the season when he was still playing at OU, just like, where, like, what are we going to think of Jalen Hurts? Like if the season goes the way that we all think it's going to go and it pretty much it did, you know, you won the big 12 and they lost in their playoff game. And, and he struggled and he struggled throwing the football down the stretch. I mean, yeah. all the things, all, he checked all the boxes that we thought would happen. <laughs> Considering that he followed Kyler, followed Baker, and then even in the last 20 years, OU's had amazing quarterback play overall. And then even going back to the wishbone days, you know, great quarterback play, uh, legends. It's, it's interesting. And then considering that he's probably better remembered as a member of the Crimson Tide, but we'll get into that probably next week. And I'm sure fans are, and listeners are excited to hear more we, Jalen Hurts talk. We won't have time to talk about Jalen Hurts next week. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm assuming probably, I'm assuming that we may do an emergency pod you know, we might have to. You may have some audio next week to use from an interview. Oh, week. did you hear that? That's called a tease. Right now, Keegan is slowly taking his shirt off and giving me eye contact. That I would is... never. I would never take this Cardinal shirt off, Brady. Well, you you might as well because there ain't gonna be there ain't gonna be no baseball. Brady, basketball. It's I know. Back. I know. I know. It's it's uh, the the schedule dropped. We're that much closer to ultimately being disappointed because the Orlando bubble will be burst, bursted or whatever. No, no, no I'm excited. Um, but again, in terms of sports at large, you want if you don't care about basketball, I get it. You don't have to. I'm not telling you you have to care about it. But you want the NBA season to be finished, to be able to be finished, and to go off without a hitch. Because if that's the case, then college football can have a little bit more. Uh, groundwork to kind of follow i mean it's going to be wear a mask wear a mask everybody wear a mask uh keegan before we get you out of here uh the infamous group chat that i always mention that we are a part of we had a uh, furious debate earlier this morning this afternoon about wide receivers at ou and one of the bigger debates in that conversation was dd westbrook versus marquise hollywood brown i'll just say i'll give my thoughts first I have a top five of OE receivers over the last 25 years. And that's basically, you know, just because of the system, just because of the way the game has evolved, that's basically the top five receivers in school history. And so my number one's always going to be CeeDee Lamb. I mean, you, any category you want to talk about, CeeDee Lamb's number one. Uh, Mark Clayton, number two, because the guy was a fucking winning player. Uh, he has numbers. He has a lot of great plays. Um, he's going to be number two for me. And then we get into, you know, a little bit of, eh, you know, you can go here, there. Um, I'll I'll go Ryan Broyles just for the consistency and the numbers. The guy is a record-breaking receiver for a reason, and I'm not going to disrespect that whatsoever. Maybe a Hollywood Brown. Maybe a Kenny Stills can go here. Um, I'd probably put Hollywood Brown just because of how dynamic he was, of how special he was as a talent. And when he was healthy – he was the key to use offense with some great players. We're talking about Kyle Murray, Baker Mayfield, and Marquise Brown was the key to that offense. Number five, Sterling Shepard, basically for the same reasons as, as Mark Clayton, made winning plays consistent from the time he stepped on the field. Um, and the interesting thing about that top five, Keegan, the school's lone Blitnikoff winner is not in it. And that really bothers me because I really put a lot of value in hardware. D.D. Westbrook won the Blitnikoff Award. Mark Clayton did it. CD Lamb didn't. There are reasons for that, of course. Um, D.D. Westbrook's career is mainly just one season. He was a JUCO transfer. Didn't really do that much in his first year with OU. Was the number two to Sterling Shepard. And sometimes even the number three. There were games where I forgot he was even on the field. Chemistry, you know, conditioning, physicality might have been an issue. But his 2016... I think the offense, I'm sorry to cut you. I think the offense was different in 2015 as well, right? The offense was certainly different. They ran a ton of air raid style passing stuff, um, and that kind of happens whenever you got guys like Joe Mixon and Samaje P. Ryan. Yeah, but uh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, now I was just gonna say his uh, D.D. Westbrook's 2016 was truly special, and um, one of our friends in the group chat kind of called it uh, as to probably a reason why people will often forget about him is that he's just kind of seen as a guy who you just said go run straight. Baker Mayfield will throw it up in the air. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna outrun your guy. 
And yes, if you watch a highlight reel of his 2016, that's what a lot of his touchdowns were. The production speaks for itself, but I think DD is a little bit more special than what he's remembered. Having said that, I, I still have trouble putting him in my top five, uh, but the easiest comparison in that top five would be a guy like Hollywood Brown, who's seen as just a burner as well. I just think Hollywood is a more dynamic athlete than DD is, but I'm just curious, where do you fall in the DD versus Hollywood debate? Do you feel DD is a top five receiver in the last 25 years, or are you kind of like me and you're just like, I just, I can't put him above any of those other five guys i'd have in this people would call me crazy for this if we're talking about college football and i think that's where the conversation was at um i'd have sterling higher than i'd have him at four right you had cd mark clayton who was three ryan Broyles, Broyles, and then i'd have shepherd and then you get into that conversation of westbrook and uh marquise brown because and dewan miller of course <laughs> and whenever so in terms of i'm just going to take talk from a statistical conversation here and dd's blitnikoff winning season he caught 17 touchdowns and he averaged 19.1 yards per catch stupid on 80 on 80 catches and marquise brown in 2018 with kyler and cd obviously cd took away some of those numbers marquise caught 75 passes averaged 17.6 per pop and had 10 touchdowns. Now, granted, there's a lot of differences there in terms of the athletes that he had around him, um, the position that each played. Uh, and I think the offense, too, was a little bit different. I, I think in 2016, the entire route pattern, uh, golly, route tree with D.D. Westbrook, it was all circulated around how can we get D.D. Westbrook on a one-on-one with the safety. They didn't have to have – they didn't – have to do that when CeeDee Lamb is lined up on the opposite side of the field as Marquise Brown. Yeah. So, with that being said, I've done a bunch of research on how Oklahoma used D.D. Westbrook in 2016 in order to maybe get an idea of how Lincoln may use Marvin Mims in that same situation. And D.D. Westbrook is one of the more underrated route runners of this group. His ability to get a DB moving one way and then just to have a break into a double move into a different direction was as good as it comes. So as you're starting to hear, I'm on D.D. Westbrook. I would have, in terms of the college side of things, I'd have D.D. Westbrook above Marquise Brown because another part of this is I don't think Marquise Brown has the success he has if CeeDee Lamb's not on his team as well. Now, yeah. I, think, I, I think the world of Marquise Brown. I think he – obviously the burning speed, the route running, um, the, the ability to make guys miss in the open field, all those things are exceptional. But what D.D. Westbrook did in 2016 and his, ability, his route running, his competitiveness, um, the all the touchdowns he caught, all those things, that, that's why I'd have D.D. at five um, opposed to Marquise Brown and I'd have Shepard a little bit higher – um, because I don't yeah. think Oklahoma wins anything without Sterling Shepard in 2015. I just don't. That's that's true. Actually, I'll agree with that one. But I, I would say um, I mean, you can look you can look at this one of two ways. You can you can look at Ceedee Lamb being a detriment to in terms of like, well, who's better, Hollywood or D or Dee Dee? Well, Hollywood had Ceedee Lamb on the field, which certainly helped him in terms of matchups. You can look at that as a detriment if you're trying to support your argument that Dee Dee is better than uh, mm -hmm. Hollywood. You can also look at it from the way that I, I tend to look at it. Hollywood produced with CeeDee Lamb on the field. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't a super balance. Like, no, Hollywood got the numbers of a number one guy with CeeDee mm -hmm. fucking Lamb on the field. Um, and I, could, I would also probably throw the argument of, well, D.D. Westbrook had Joe Mixon coming out of the backfield, who was damn near a wide receiver running, running um, wide receiver routes half the time. That's also true. And the defenses were certainly trying to key on him. I can only imagine what an offense with CeeDee Lamb, Joe Mixon, Hollywood Brown would have looked like. I mean, you can't double anybody at that point. So, I mean, you can look at it as a detriment. You can look at it as a positive. I think it's pretty much a wash. It, it's, it's interesting just because, again, I, I feel terrible about, about not putting the school's lone Bolitnikoff winner in a top five. I mean, it, it speaks to the amount of talent that's come through here over the last, you know, eight to eight years, let alone the last 25 years. It's truly a special place if you're a wide receiver to come here. But yeah, like it, again, we had that argument this morning and I was just like, gosh, that feels bad. D 
like Didi is criminally underrated, at least to me. Mm-hmm. No, he is. And the impact that he's had, I mean, if you think about and look at his whole story, um, Jay Norvell recruited him, right? So he signed to play for Jay Norvell. Lincoln comes in. Lincoln convinces him to stick with Oklahoma in 2015. Obviously that offense had all sorts of, I mean, you look at the Texas game, the first three quarters of the Tennessee game and other games that season that they had problems offensively, just getting things gelled right, blah, 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 blah. And then when he was by himself in 2016, who was the second guy? Like who was the second receiver in 2016? I'm looking it up right now. uh, Nick Basquin? (laughs) I'm looking it up right now. I can't even think about it. Or I can't I can't even remember. Oh, uh, that was like Jeff. It was like a committee, I think. It was like Jeff Mead, Nick Basquin. Oh, wow. This, this is going to be crazy. D.D. Westbrook had 1,524 receiving yards in 2016. The second guy was Joe Mixon. He had 538. See, again, that's, you know, like it's something that certainly benefited him, yet he was still able to produce. But they played different positions, so – I would look at that more as a detriment in the CD versus Hollywood argument, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's, that's a different position helping him out. Whereas CD and Hollywood are playing the same position yet. Hollywood was still able to produce. And then the second receiver in 2016, another underrated guy that doesn't get talked about enough that made winning plays. Penn state transfer Gino Lewis, Gino Lewis caught the, uh, Touchdown pass against Texas, right? He no, that was uh, that wasn't. No, no, no. No, no. twenty sixteen Texas is when Didi had the three touchdowns. Yeah, uh, Gino Lewis caught the go ahead touchdown against Oklahoma State in the rain game. Yeah, um, he was but... all. Yeah, the guy that was all arms. He didn't wear any gloves. He didn't wear any like, <laughs> yeah. elbow things. He was yeah, just yeah, all yeah. gigantic arms. Gino <laughs> Lewis, that's a name. Hey, he's having a successful uh, Canadian Football League career though. I don't know what team he's playing for, but hopefully Canada can play football too. But um, Keegan, anything else before we get out of here? No, I, I think teasing some stories for Saturday. I've done that enough already. So um, should be a uh, there's going to be some there's going to be a couple on Saturday, and then there's going to be one on Sunday, and you can check that out at SoonersWire.com. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we will have some fun stuff for you coming up on Inside OU, part of the Franchise Podcast Network, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. Thank you to Keegan. Thank you to me, Brady Trantham, because I I won the hair competition between uh, between me and Tyler Palmatier. Shout out to you once more, once more, or one more time, Tyler. Good luck to you in Nashville. Everybody, thank you for the questions. Thank you for asking Keegan questions, and hopefully you enjoyed the show. But next week we'll have some fireworks for you. So everybody, have a good rest of your week.